Good morning. Thank you for joining us today. Here's what's happening at Gateway Community Church. Sign up to serve during this Christmas season. There are opportunities all throughout December and on Christmas Eve. There is something for just about everyone, so don't wait until your favorite opportunity or preferred time fills up. Visit Next Steps after service or sign up online. Share the love of God and experience the value of generosity by visiting the giving area on the coffee shop stage or by going online. For our pre-kindergartners through fourth graders, Kids Town's Christmas will premiere Sunday, December 17th during our morning services. Photos with Santa and photos in our live nativity will also be available from 9 to 11.30 a.m. Christmas Eve invite cards are available today in the lobby. Take a few and invite a friend. Moms and dads, did you know your child can sing on stage during Christmas Eve? Learn more online. Here's everything you need to know for our Christmas Eve service. Our bilingual ministry will be having a service at 10 a.m. At 2, 4, and 6, we'll be having our candlelight services. The nursery will be available for all three. A communion service will take place at 11 p.m. Refreshments and family photos will be available in the Life Center from 3 to 6 p.m. Carve out some time this season to spend with God. Advent reading bookmarks are available in the lobby and online. Celebrate Recovery will meet on December 25th and January 1st. Celebrate Recovery is a great place to begin your journey of healing from hurts, habits, and hangups. Join us on Mondays in the Life Center at 7 p.m. Learn more at our website. Don't miss out when you're sick or out of town for the holidays. Join us on Facebook Live where you can catch everything that happens during the service. Stay up to date with the latest news in your bulletin or visit our website at gateway-community.org. Thank you for being here and welcome to your journey. Well, it is good to come and worship the newborn king and to celebrate that. And to, we welcome you if you're worshiping with us for the first time, if you're with us on Facebook Live. I uh, want to encourage you that, that uh, as was mentioned earlier, to sign up to help uh, on Christmas Eve. As, uh, there are different ways to serve and make it, many of our families make it a family tradition and it's an opportunity to, to remember whose birthday it is. Uh, we are celebrating his birthday and therefore we come together to throw this party and invite the neighborhood, to invite the community to come. And we're the hosts for the party, and, and so all of us matter in what we do. And we invite, and, and I hope you've been praying of, about individuals you can invite. And uh, we have these cards at the eg, uh, exits of the auditorium as you leave this morning and out in the lobby area that you can take and hand to people, as well as some uh, items on Facebook that you can use to pass on. And I hope that you will, that you will use that to draw people into what, what Christmas is really about. Um, we, we talked about a couple of weeks ago, St. Francis of Assisi created the very first nativity scene in 1223 A.D. because he believed that the celebration of Christmas had begun to overly emphasize gift giving and, and other things and overlooked, really, it, its deeper meaning. And we would have to say that nothing maybe has changed that much in 800 years. And so we're focusing in this series and in this season on the main characters of the nativity in this series, Come and Worship, to keep, if you will, the main thing, the main thing. Um, we've looked at Joseph's father, or, or Jesus' father, Joseph. 
We've looked at his mother Mary. Today we're going to turn to look at the shepherds, uh, which may or may not be somebody you've given much thought about. And to do that, though, we want to kind of take a look back, because shepherds have quite a history as you go through the Bible, beginning with Abel, Adam and Eve's second son. In Genesis chapter 4, in other words, the fourth book, fourth chapter of the Bible itself, it says, when they grew up, Abel became a shepherd, while Cain cultivated the ground. Uh, Later, the patriarchs Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jacob's sons, uh, are all identified as shepherds and possessed large flocks, indicating that they had, in fact, become powerful and wealthy through their shepherding. When Jacob and his sons moved to Egypt, they moved to good grazing land in in the area called Goshen. And um, very quickly, just kind of a picture of what it of of what it looks like. Here is the Mediterranean. This is modern day Egypt, modern day Israel, and this area here, the delta of the Nile, was the land of Goshen. It was the land where the the um, the Israelites initially settled. Uh, And it's important because it was kind of far away from where most of the Egyptians lived because the Bible tells us to the Egyptians, every shepherd was an abomination. Uh, We're not exactly sure of all the particulars of why that is, but they, they they looked down very much on that. Now, when Moses left Egypt at the age of 40, He, we are told, tended sheep for the next 40 years for his father-in-law, Jethro. And he was doing that when God called him to lead the Hebrews out of Egypt. Likewise, several hundred years later, David was a shepherd when God used the prophet Samuel to come to him to call him to be the next king, the second king of Israel. Shepherds had the responsibility, might seem kind of obvious, of of feeding and protecting the flock, of, of seeking out sheep that wandered off that got lost, and of rescuing sheep attacked by wild animals. Over time, the the shepherd as protector and leader of his flock, though in the Bible we begin to see that image becoming symbolic of God as the shepherd of Israel, as one who cared for his people, who tended to also wander from God's path for their lives. I, I don't know if you've ever been around sheep very much. I, in, in going out to West Texas, I've seen a, a fair number of sheep, and, and they're not the brightest animals. And uh, we all see them as you know, fuzzy, cute little things, but, but they're really kind of dull. I mean, you know, they just they kind of put their head down, they're just kind of eating machines. And they just kind of wander around and they eat food. And, and after a while, they get over here and, and they want, one or two of them wandered off. And they look up and the, and the herd has moved on. And they look around. They don't know where anybody is. And they start bleeding and, and running and trying to find the rest of the herd. And so it was no wonder that shepherds were important. And it was no wonder that this image came to God as one who cared for the lost sheep of Israel, for those who wandered away. We read that great um, uh, psalm that, that David wrote, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The, the prophet Isaiah said, The sovereign Lord tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. 
You have this picture running through the middle part and the latter part of the Old Testament of, of God the Father caring for the, for the lost sheep of Israel. And a number of passages in the Old Testament then begin to apply that image to, 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 to the leaders of God's people as sort of the under-shepherds, if you will, uh, of God's, who, who led in His place, who, who took were the hands and feet of His his love for his people. And yet when the leaders failed to take care of their people, their flock, God didn't mince words. He was, he was pretty hard on them. And the prophet Ezekiel said, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds. And by here he doesn't mean those who are taking care of sheep, sheep. He says the leaders of Israel. Give them this message from the sovereign Lord. What sorrow awaits you, shepherds, who feed yourselves instead of your flocks, Shouldn't shepherds feed their sheep? You've not taken care of the weak. You've not tended the sick or bound up the injured. You've not gone looking for those who have wandered away and are lost. Instead, you've ruled them with harshness and cruelty. So my sheep have been scattered without a shepherd, and they are easy prey for any wild animal. By the time we get to the New Testament, though, uh, several centuries have passed. The, the last writings of the Old Testament occurred around 400 B.C. And in that time, the, the Pharisees and others came into power. And, and they had a tendency to take the law of God, what we see in Exodus and Leviticus, and add to it. And they kept adding to it and kept adding to it. And, and, and adding the rules of men, if you will, to the law of God. And, and because of that, the, sheep, the shepherds were increasingly unable to keep all the, the rules of, of the Jewish faith that required them to do things like wash your hands before you eat and, and ritually wash your hands as a, as a spiritual cleansing, not just a physical cleansing, and, and so many other, other things like that. And so they were considered ceremonially unclean. They were not welcomed into the synagogues. They were not people that were looked up to at this point by the Jewish elite. In fact, first century shepherds tended to be, by this time, poor, often considered untrustworthy, and their work made them, as I said, religiously unclean so that they were considered spiritual outcasts. And yet, in the midst of that that picture, Jesus comes into that setting, and instead of following along with the current thoughts, he pulls back into the imagery of the Old Testament, of Scripture. You know, sometimes we, we look at the Old Testament, we say, well, I like the New Testament, I, I don't really care so much about the Old Testament, I don't, I don't get it at all, and yet so much of, of what Jesus was about and what he explained grew out of the Old Testament, its basis was there. In fact, by the time of the New Testament, we see that, in fact, the Jews had messed up the, the picture of a shepherd, and so Jesus came along, and it had to really stick in the ears of some of those that were around him when he said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. The early church reclaimed this image of shepherd for Jesus and his work. Peter wrote, you are straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And if you notice shepherd and overseer are capitalized because they are titles of who Jesus is 
in fulfilling his role in, in, for God. Pastors, if you will, started being referred to as shepherds of their flock under their shepherd Jesus to continue the care that, that Jesus himself brought. And so as we think about that, as we look at, at, at shepherds, we want to turn back to the night of Jesus' birth as Luke tells the story. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, verse 6. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, you can use the YouVersion Bible app. If you have neither of those, we have an insert in the bulletin that has the scriptures and blanks and, and places that you can follow along to take notes. And so we want to look at how the shepherds, the role they played. In verse 6, it says, While they were in Bethlehem, the time came for Mary to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, Bethlehem, in, in, then and now, is really very close to Jerusalem. Um, on this map, here's the Mediterranean, the Dead Sea, the Sea of Galilee. Here's Jerusalem, and here's Bethlehem. And they're very, very close. In fact, they're only about five miles apart. If we looked at it today, it would almost be like saying, if you took downtown Houston and then you traveled to Bel Air... You know, there's just a few miles apart. In fact, the city of Houston has grown out and around Bel Air. And the same thing is true today. The city of Jerusalem has grown out and surrounded Bethlehem. So Bethlehem is really a part, a part of Jerusalem. What the text doesn't tell us, but scholars believe is highly likely, is that the sheep that these shepherds were carrying, because they were so close to Jerusalem, that these sheep were going to be used for, the sac for sacrifice at Passover, at the Jewish Passover, their most holy day, in which they would offer up a lamb in remembrance of God passing over the Hebrews in Egypt 2000 or 1,500 years earlier. Yet with that in mind, what you, you and I have to also remember is this was probably an ordinary night. You know, all of us come to this story and we know, many of us know the story and we know what's about to happen. And so we start, we start putting our picture on it. But what you got to see is that these shepherds, are just, they're just out there. This is one night among hundreds. They're out there taking care of the sheep. They're, 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 they've fed them. They breaking up into shifts. So who's going to stay awake? Who's going to go to sleep? Early shift, late shift, to just make sure no predators come around. And it's just one night out of many. They have no expectation. Remember, it's been 400 years since any prophet has spoken or any, any prophetic word has been sent out. And even though there is the, the expectation, the hope of the coming Messiah, nobody's thinking it's going to come tonight. They're just out there doing their job until, verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. Now, the angel, all the scripture says is it appears. It doesn't tell us how it appears. It doesn't say if he walked up. Doesn't say if he's, mad, if he's mystically hanging above them. Doesn't say if he materializes in front of them. We don't really know how this happened. What we know is it must have been incredible because it kind of freaked them out. 
you know? But it wasn't just their presence because it tells us, the scripture tells us, the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now, sometimes we picture, we hear that sign, the glory of the Lord shone around them. We're thinking, okay, that's the, the angel, right? The angel's radiating light. But it's, the scripture is specific. It says them. It means that the glory of the Lord was not just radiating from this angel. It was around all of these shepherds. There, there was something happening here, something unusual, something that they had never experienced before as this this. Glory was there. Now, I don't know about you, I've used the word glory my whole Christian life. And we talk about the glory of God and glory, hallelujah, and, and all that. But what does glory really mean? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, have you ever kind of given a thought? To, how, how would you know what is glory and what is not glory? I, you know, sometimes it's just helpful to kind of think back as to where this, this came from. The, the, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word that is typically translated as glory means weight. A weight, W-E-I-G-H-T. And therefore, the worth of something. Because in biblical times, uh, if you had uh, the value was determined by the weight of gold or by the weight of silver, by the weight of bronze, or by the weight of flour, or whatever the case may be. And so you have this picture of, of weight giving value, of worth. And so the glory of God is the worth or the worthiness, if you will, of God. The presence of God in the fullness of all his attributes in, in some place or, or everywhere. It's this sense of who God is comes through in, in amazing and supernatural ways. It's not just simply light. Oftentimes we, we associate it with light. And, and it's certainly generally true that the, the light is there. But it's more than that. It's this sense that, 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 that there is a presence here in our midst that has weight to them. That, that has a majesty to them that you know something is different it's not simply a, a, something you perceive with the, all of your outward senses there is a supernatural element to this of what we perceive the 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 sense of god and his worthiness is evident and it's overwhelming and, it, and 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 even though there are often like I said, light, it's not limited to that. When Moses received the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, God's glory was present on that mountain as a devouring fire shrouded with clouds. So it wasn't necessarily light. The Old Testament talks about the glory of the Lord coming down upon the tabernacle as it was being consecrated in the wilderness by the, the Hebrews after they'd left Egypt. And then later when Solomon builds the temple, it again talks about the, the glory of the Lord descending down upon the, the temple that Solomon built in Jerusalem. Now what's interesting is when that temple gets destroyed in 587 B.C. by the Babylonians, the, the Jews go off into exile into Babylon, and they're there for quite some time, for 50 years. When they start to return, one of the first things they do is they rebuild the temple. But if you read Scripture closely, you will see that the glory of the Lord never returns to the second temple. There's no account of it in Scripture whatsoever. Now, the prophet Ezekiel talked about a temple... And, and the glory coming to that temple. But the, 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 the temple he describes is not the temple that got built 
in 515 BC and then was added onto by Herod in, in the, the decades before the time of Jesus. And, and so you get the sense, okay, we've seen the glory of the Lord descend on the tabernacle, which was the place of God's, of God's presence in our midst. We've seen it descend on the temple, the place of God's presence. Where was it in, after that? And it, if you turn to the New Testament, the story in Matthew 17, too, is called the story of the transfiguration. And it says there, it's chapter, Matthew 17, verse 2, Jesus was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. In other words, the glory of the Lord which had been on the tabernacle, the glory of the Lord which had been in, in, on the temple, was now on Jesus he had been transformed in an in, in appearance. And it wasn't just light. It was awe-inspiring. It was amazing. It was overwhelming. It was this sense of, of all of who God is standing before you. And so suddenly as this angel appears to the shepherds, this glory of the Lord encompasses them. And something unlike anything they had ever experienced. But I would, I would tell you perhaps something unlike what many of us have ever experienced. And so it's no wonder they were, they were filled with, with fear. They don't understand yet that they have received a gift like few others here on earth will ever know. Until we meet Jesus face to face. And yet the angel understands and offers them comfort. He said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Uh, another translation gives a little better sense of it. It says, The angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will be, bring great joy to all people. In other words, it's good news for these angels. They are in this awe-inspiring thing, and it's not the case that they've got a fear for their life. The good news is coming to them. Something good is about to happen. But what the angel says is, hey, this good news isn't just for you guys here. This is for everyone. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, the language the angel used here would have been clear to, to any Jew of the first century. That when it says Christ, they mean Messiah. Messiah was the Hebrew word for the coming one of God, the anointed one of God, who would, would restore God's people and, and make them right with him. When you translate the word Messiah if, from the Hebrew into Greek, you get the word Christ. So that we, when we talk about Jesus Christ, or sometimes it says Christ Jesus, Christ is in his last name. Christ is who he is. He is the Son of God. And he had been predicted by so many prophecies to bring justice and ultimately peace to his people. Isaiah said, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder." And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. And in other words, not just a human being, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. 
on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. In other words, this wasn't just some casual thing that God was doing. It says the zeal of the Lord, the excitement, the, the, the majesty, the glory of the Lord is doing this. The prophet Micah re- recorded the Lord saying, You, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. And so these shepherds on the the outskirts of Bethlehem, standing in the glory of the Lord, were being told by the angel that their Messiah, the Christ, had just been born in Bethlehem, as the prophets had said, as prophesied. And when the angel said, Savior, it's particularly important because in the Roman world, and that's what we, were, we have here in the first century, Caesar Augustus claimed to be the savior of the world. We've found many writings and, and statues that, where he makes this claim that he is the savior of the world. And so the, the angel is offering a striking contrast between the apparent power of the world, the outward power of the world through Augustus, and the real power through Jesus Christ. And by calling the baby Christ the Lord, the angel reinforces this, that a a new ruler has been born. Yet it would take decades for, for the people of God to understand what kind of ruler this Messiah would be. And so the, the, the shepherds receiving this news feel compelled to go and see. But how would they find this baby? The Bible says, the angel continues, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. That the shepherds would recognize this baby by the cloth wrappings on him and the use of, of a manger or a feed trough for a crib. Now, let me just be honest with you. When I grew up singing, Oh, Away in a Manger, I don't know about you, I pictured a manger as kind of the whole stable or cave thing. Is anybody else, did anybody else kind of have that misconception? Be honest. Okay, there's three or four of you that are honest. There's a few more. All right. I, I mean, I was an adult before I understood that the manger is not this whole thing. It's, it's that thing. It's the feed trough. Not, not that that's a m- major deal, but it, it was just interesting. We get in our ideas certain things because of songs or things we grew up with, and we don't think them through. But here's the other thing. A, a local mother would, would have lived there, known the baby was coming. She would have a crib for her home, in her home. So the manger or the feed trough indicates this the child isn't in his home. He's in a place where animals are kept. And the Bible says, verse 13, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, again, what this must have been like, we have no, we have no point of reference. It, it was, it was um, overwhelming enough for this angel to be there. However he showed up, he's suddenly there. But then the Bible says there is a multitude. A multitude, the, the, the Greek word 
it means un, essentially uncountable. Okay, it wasn't just the angel and his three buddies and just standing there and they formed a quartet. It's this whole, I mean, what is it? I mean, were they standing around? Were they, were they flying up in the sky? I, we don't know. It doesn't tell us. Scripture doesn't honestly tell us. It just says there is a multitude, that they are there suddenly. In other words, one moment, uh, the shepherds are talking to an angel, and then the next moment, there are all these angels all around. Now, if that doesn't, if that doesn't freak you out, I don't know what will. I mean, that's just not something that's part of my life experience. I, I hope to have that someday, but it's incredible. And they're praising God, and, and you can imagine they're hearing the sound of heaven. You know, we have such gifted and talented musicians here, and I love, I love our, our, our singing time of worship. And, and, and I've got to hear a few times in the past great choirs, and it's, it's amazing and it's wonderful. But I don't really know how to even experience what the heavenly host must have sounded like. The voice of angels singing. The, 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 you're out in this night sky. It's not like Houston where there's all the light pollution. There you, suddenly, though, you're surrounded by, by the glory of the Lord and an angel. And then all of these angels. And you have to be able to see them to, to say that there was a multitude of them. So what must that have been like? We really don't have any, anything comparable to compare it to. They're singing. They're praising. They're telling of the glory evident in the angel's initial appearance. But they're also proclaiming peace. To the people. Again, Caesar Augustus promised what was called the Pax Romana, that the, there would be the peace of Rome, that in this great empire that the legions would protect the people and they would not have to worry about war. And for a few centuries in the center core of that, that was largely true. But the Christ brings an even greater peace, not a peace that is by what's going on around us, but an inner peace regardless of what is going on around us. A peace with the God of the universe regardless of how crazy my world might be. When we welcome Jesus Christ, Isaiah called him the prince of peace into our lives to be our savior and our Lord then God forgives our sins, which have separated us from God, broke the relationship with God, and, and, and destroyed our peace with Him. And He restores us to a right relationship with Himself through Jesus. The Apostle Paul wrote, Therefore, since we have been justified or made right by faith, by what we choose to believe, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the angels are telling us this baby is going to be so much more than a conquering king. Someone who comes and takes care of the outward peace. Though again, no one would understand this until after Jesus' death and resurrection. 
Scripture says then that when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And just as suddenly as the angels had appeared, they're gone. There's no explanation. story doesn't tell us anything more. It's one moment, they're surrounded by the glory of God and all these angels, and then they're gone. But rather than dwelling on that, the, the shepherds grasp what is really important, that something truly miraculous and life-altering is happening in the birth of this baby, the Lord, the Messiah, the Savior. And, and they take the angel's hint to go into Bethlehem to find this baby. Now, we're not told how they find Jesus. I mean, we, we just think, okay, there was this nice little hut sitting way out over here, and you know, it was this nice picture, and everybody knew that this was where Jesus was going to be born. No. It was, a, it was a little town, a little village. And here comes these shepherds who are outcasts, who typically don't come into town except to buy goods, and they're, they're walking around. It's dark, and they're looking. And they're trying to figure it out. And all they know is there's a newborn baby. He's wrapped in swaddling cloths. And he's lying in a manger. So they're walking around. They're looking. They're, maybe they're knocking on doors and saying, hey, have you, seen, have you heard of a baby being born? And people are getting mad at them because first they're shepherds and second it's late and they've already gone to bed. And somehow in the midst of all that, they finally by the grace of God, stumble onto the location and find the baby. And regardless of their social status, they had been so profoundly impacted by this event that they had to go. They had to see. And the Bible tells us they find Mary and Joseph as well as the baby lying in a manger, just as the angel had told them. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that they had been told them that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Now, obviously, the shepherds come in there and, and Mary and Joseph, what's going on? Who are you guys? And they're saying, We just had this incredible experience, and we were told to come and find this baby. And they tell them what had happened and tell them about their baby. But here's the thing: the scripture doesn't say that they that just Mary and Joseph wondered at what the shepherds had told them. It said all who heard it. It means they told other people, probably everyone they encountered after that. They're walking out of town. They, they encounter somebody. Hey, did you know, hear what happened? Did you see what happened? The two days later, they're out and they meet up with another band of shepherds. You should have seen what we saw. Not just the angels, but we saw the Messiah. They told everyone, Scripture says, probably for some time. Because it, it says, all who heard it wondered. Now, wondered in, in the English Standard Version translation that I'm using here could lead you to believe, well, they were wondering, were they telling the truth or not? Other translations like the New International Version, though, say instead of wondered, they were amazed. And that's really more of the sense. There was a sense of wonder and awe of these shepherds. And, and not questions about whether or not it really happened. Something about these shepherds, social outcasts of the day, was so convincing to them of what they had experienced that the scripture says all were amazed. All. People of high status, people who would have never talked to a shepherd were amazed. It really is amazing. 
that the first announcement by God through his angels of the birth of his son wasn't to Caesar Augustus, wasn't to Herod, wasn't to the village leaders. It was to people on the lower end of society. As we saw in history, shepherds had started out with honor and even had become a symbol of God himself. Yet with time, the ways of men had diminished their honor and they increasingly had forgot to the point of where they had become social misfits by, by this time in history. And yet to whom did the glory of God announce, choose to first announce his good news? Shepherds. Once again, returning them to a place of honor. So much so that Jesus himself would take upon himself the claim that I am the good shepherd. But here's the thing. Have you ever wondered if the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is for you or not? Does it have anything to say to you? Does it matter in your life? Or does it matter to someone you know, someone in your family, someone that you work with, someone around you? Perhaps the experience of these shepherds should convince you this good news of great joy will be for all the people. All. Not just the people sitting on your row. Not just for the people who go to that other church. It's for all people. The angels didn't come to just tell the Christians. They came to share the good news to all. God counts you as so valuable that he has offered you this good news. And yet, not just for you, but for all people. And as Mary thought about that, Scripture says she treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. It had been one thing after another for Mary and the appearance of the shepherds and, and their, their message and the witness of this angelic coast was just another piece in this puzzle of figuring out who this baby was who had been miraculously born to her. And looking back, she may have realized that the shepherds who watched over the sheep who would be sacrificed at the Passover were the first to greet her little lamb who John would later call the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world as he died on the cross on that day of Passover. They were more significant than they ever knew. But so are you. So are you. This story is for you. And yet it's not just for you. It's for people in your family. It's for your neighbors. It's for your coworkers. It's for your friends. It's for those who don't give a rip about Jesus or God or the church. But it's because they don't know. They don't know. And so the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. 
The shepherds worshiped God, and, 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 and they told others what they'd experienced. And yet, the message they received, again, is also for you. Christ came for you. He came to restore peace between you and me and God, to forgive us our sins, and to lead us into a glorious future for which there are no words. There is, no, there is nothing in your life to compare to. And if that's not clear to you or you're wondering about that this morning, our prayer team will be down here in just a moment, and they would love to talk with you about that right after our service. But if you, if you do realize this message is for you, then you have to also, again, realize it's not just for you. It really is for all the people. The shepherds had to have told others. It wasn't just Mary and Joseph that they explained this to. And, and it said everyone was amazed by this good news. And you and I are called to do likewise, to share the angel's message as the shepherds did. For unto you is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. God worked in and through those shepherds. And the cool thing is he will work in and through you and me. He chose the people no one else expected. He always does the unexpected. If you're think, sitting there thinking, well, he'd never choose me, you better watch out. You better not cry. Oh, sorry. Because he has chose you. He's ready to work in your life. Maybe today, maybe tomorrow, maybe right now. As you surrender to Christ, your Savior, your Lord. And that's why we have to tell. That's why we have to share this good news. Because it isn't just for us. We, we follow in the footsteps of those shepherds. The, the most unlikely ones. If any of us looks at our lives, we can think of lots of reasons why God would never choose me. And yet he did. And there are people around you who think the exact same thing. And just as God chose those shepherds, he is choosing them too. And giving you the opportunity to be his hands, his feet, his voice in this Christmas season and beyond. So whether it's using one of these cards or a Facebook or just coming alongside someone and loving on them, let God work in you. I mean, we give presents, but if you think about it, it's not our birthday. It's his birthday. And what is the present you give to someone who has all the stuff, the hearts of men and women, students and children. You bring them to him. There's no greater gift that you can give to your Savior, to your Lord, than those that you can announce the good news to. That's why we serve on Christmas Eve. Because it's not for us. It's for everyone else. 
It's our celebration, but it's our celebration for the world. We're the hosts, and we want to welcome them. That's why your serving is so important. That's why your telling is so important. I hope if you haven't signed up, you'll, after the service, go out to Next Steps, or you'll go online to find it page and join in. Let God work in you so that he can work through you to share his good news so that others can perhaps see and experience the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for choosing each one of us, even as we know how unworthy we are. And yet, that picture of the shepherds who one time was noble and yet had fallen into disrepute, is really our picture. You created us in your image. You loved us, and yet sin marred that picture. But you didn't give up on us. And through Jesus, you have reclaimed us, and you have brought us into your future to be used by you for your glory. May we join with the shepherds in telling all that we know and watch as you work in amazement in the lives of others. Use us for your glory, Father, we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. See you all next week. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.